So Jesus, help us understand those words and apply them to our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, good to see all of you, and so great to have our kids uh, helping us in worship. I love it when they are here. It just it adds uh, so much. I want to start with a question, uh, and that is, do you ever feel conflicted about following Jesus? I mean, I know sometimes I do, because on the one hand, I want to follow him and connect with him and live the adventure and the joy that he gives us. But on the other, I want the things that this culture tells us to have. I want success. I want the approval of others. I want comfort and all of that. I kind of want both. So I end up in two different worlds, maybe a little bit like this uh, video here. Are you tired of getting embarrassed in front of your secular friends? That one almost got me there. Wow. Oh, baby, go. You guys, beer time. Beer, all right. Oh, close call. Are you fed up with not having the right Jesus words to say to your Christian small group? <laughs> I just can't believe he's gone. I mean, that little hamster meant everything to me. Oh. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> That was ugly. Sounds like they could use convenient Christianity. Welcome to Convenient Christianity, where we offer a diverse range of products that will help you fit your faith into your lifestyle. Are you sick of your driving, reflecting poorly on your Christian image? Do you ever wish you could just cut off the punk in the souped-up four-wheel drive and feel okay about it? Well, now you can, with a convenient Christianity bumper sticker. And who doesn't love bacon? Now you can say whatever you want instead of your bumper sticker doing the talking. What's this, you ask? It's our amazingly interchangeable, convenient Christianity coffee mug. Faith shouldn't be offensive, and this mug is guaranteed to impress anyone in the office without religion getting in the way of other important activities. Well, I gotta get going, but uh, thank you so much for the testimony, and you have a blessed day. No, you're a blessing, brother. just here to make your life as a believer a little easier. And something that I think everyone needs in their arsenal is the convenient Christianity phrase finder. It's perfect for those awkward moments in your small group when you just can't come up with the right Christian lingo. I wrestled with the temptation, but then the Lord blessed me with the riches of his blessings. This is a total God thing because I see your fruit and speak hallelujahs over your witness and testimony and in fellowship I say bless your heart. Amen. It also comes with Australian and British inflections, because let's face it, a word of the Lord just isn't as powerful without an accent. If you're interested in ordering any of our fantastic products, operators are standing by. 
Just call 1-800-MY-FAITH. That's 1-800-MY-FAITH. But wait. Act now and you'll receive a special discount of 7 times 7% off of your first order. So whatever situation you're in, we're here to make sure you fit in conveniently. Don't let your faith rule you. Choose convenient Christianity, where God fits into your lifestyle. Where God fits into your lifestyle, sort of living in two worlds, that is exactly what Jesus is getting at in this passage we looked at where he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the translation there says money, but the Greek word there is mammon, which is more than money. It means what we try to possess. So not just money, but anything we try to possess. Success, accolades and affirmation, even other people and their love and attention, anything we grab at. And the context makes that clear. Where right before this passage, Jesus tells his disciples to fast secretly and not try to show off when they're fasting and get people's approval. Because that's trying to grab on to approval, trying to acquire approval. And the key word there is serve. We cannot serve two masters. It can be very good to have money or success or accolades. Those are good things. But if our goal is to acquire them, then we become convenient Christians, kind of serving two different masters. We try to grab onto these things, but they actually end up grabbing onto us, whether it's money or success or affirmation, whatever it is. We try to get those things. They actually begin to master us. And we end up in two different worlds, sitting on the fence between sort of grabbing at the stuff of this world and following Jesus. And the problem with sitting on the fence is it hurts, right? All those posts sticking into you, right? It's the worst of both worlds, all the guilt and obligation of religion without any of the fun of sinning. It's terrible. And the problem is that our consumer culture just makes us want to grab at all this stuff that, again, we think we're mastering it, but it, it actually masters us. Right? And, and this is one of the things my wife and I are going to be talking about on literary night, looking at books like Oliver Twist, how our desire to acquire, our acquisitive nature, it just infects every part of our lives. And we don't even know it. Right? As a pastor, I've had many people confess many things to me. Right? Never once has anyone, not once, has anyone ever said to me, you know, pastor, my problem is I, I'm just too consumeristic. No one's ever confessed that to me. I don't even think we know we do it. You know, other sins, you kind of know if you've done it, right? Like if you're lustful, you know you've done it. You know, if you're committing adultery, nobody ever goes, whoa, whoa, what happened? You're not my wife, right? You, you, you know it, right? But, but this, all it takes is one person more consumeristic than we are, and we think, I don't have that problem. That's not my issue. But it invades every part of our life. For instance, it's easy to use people, to commodify people and use them for what they can do for us. How can they help my career, or make, make me look good just socially, just by being with them and hanging out with them. What can they do for me? Sort of like a story someone told me about how he and two friends went camping in Alaska and got lost in the wilderness, and his buddies were freaking out, and and, and, but he was completely calm, and they said, how can you be so calm? I and mean, we, we might die out here. He said, relax. I make $2 million a year, and I give half of it away to Bell Press. I know Scott Dudley's going to find me. <laughs> that actually didn't happen, but... Just for the record, and I, nor no pastor here, nor I, know what any of you give. We, but we get acquisitive in all of our relationships, even our spouses. Like, what can they do for me? 
even our kids, right? We love them, but sometimes that gets mixed up with also viewing them as just extensions of our life plan. And if they don't turn into the scholar or the athlete we'd expected or hoped for, or if they don't go to the kind of college or get the kind of career we had imagined, we get disappointed. And we say it's because we want them to be happy, but also, if we're honest, sometimes it's because we're actually worried how they reflect on us. We even commodify our relationship with God. Rather than just following Him for who He is, we follow Him for what He can do for us, how He can give us the stuff of this world. Just sort of like the video. We become sort of Jesus as commodity. Jesus, heal me, fix me, bless me. Take care of this, uh, this, uh, this relationship or this career problem over here. And if he doesn't do that, we feel like he doesn't care or that he doesn't exist. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus does give us deeper, richer, more meaningful lives. It is good to ask for, Jesus, for things uh, in prayer. Ask Jesus for things in prayer. Those are good things. But if that's our only way of relating to him, then faith becomes transactional, not a relationship. What's in it for me? There's even a phrase to describe it. It's called consumer Christianity. When folks talk about going, quote, church shopping, like only in America, right? Would you go shopping for a church? Now, you know, it's important. Don't get me wrong again. It's important to find the right church fit. That's important. It's important uh, sometimes that you have to leave a church. There are good reasons that you might have to leave a church and go to another church. But often when folks do that, you'll hear them say things like, well, I just wasn't getting fed there which can sometimes be spiritual talk for I didn't like the sermons or I didn't like the music or the programs or whatever. And again, churches should be meeting all those needs. Worship should be engaging. Sermons should be biblical and speak in culturally relevant ways and maybe even be enjoyable or at least tolerable. But if, but if we only come with the attitude of what can I get out of church rather than I'm here to at least for one hour out of my week focus on something other than me and my wants. Get out of myself and focus on Jesus. If we don't come with that attitude, church is going to disappoint because something's not going to be to our liking. I remember one time before I was a pastor being in a church and I didn't like the music that day and I was making snarky comments about it to my wife. And right then I noticed while we were singing a man with his hands up weeping, clearly connecting with God. And I thought, here I am because of my consumer Christian mentality. Am I getting what I want? I'm missing out on a chance to connect with God. I'm so focused on what I'm not getting that I miss what I actually could be getting if I just stopped thinking about what I was supposedly not getting. That song we sang, I think is so, uh, earlier, is so important. It's such a great prayer. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Take it. doesn't compare. Just give me Jesus because he is what really satisfies not all that stuff we try try to acquire that just ends up being masters that we serve. Gods of success and affirmation and money and all of that. And I know this deep inside of me. There is this longing to connect to Jesus and bust out of all the stuff that holds me down and holds me back and live the kind of life that only he empowers us to live, where I am bold instead of cautious, at peace instead of worried, confident instead of insecure. I want all that stuff, but then on the other hand, I want all the stuff of that world, so I become like the folks in that video. See, the reality is for many of us, we want a life-changing experience without changing our lifestyle. We want a life-changing experience that doesn't change our lifestyle, life with just a little bit of Jesus on the side. 
But the problem with that is all those other things we try to acquire that end up just mastering us, they disappoint. That's why Jesus says in this verse, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves and the IRS break in and steal. It's right there in the Greek. You can look it up. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. See, the stuff we grab at, it doesn't last. Money, no matter how much money we get, someone always has more. And we're nervous about losing it if we have it. I know folks who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year still don't feel like they have enough, in part because they're spent to the margins, but also because our culture tells us that we never have enough. That's our culture. Right? We get up in the morning and we think, oh, I didn't get enough sleep. We can stand in a closet full of clothes and think, I have nothing to wear today. Accolades, they don't last. You're only as good as your last deal, your last sale, your last sermon. Well, seriously. You know, if someone says to me on a Monday morning, hey, you know, nice sermon yesterday, Pastor. I say, thank you. Pretty quick, the first thought that enters my head is, yeah, but what about next week? Right? And that's the problem I have with Sunday. That darn day comes every week. You know, and I got to write another one. I can't just give the same old sermons over and over again. One time my mom and dad were at a dinner party and out of the corner of my dad's eye, he saw an extra steak on the serving plate next to him. And even though he'd already had one steak, he took it. But as he was eating it, he realized it wasn't the serving plate he'd taken it from. It was from the plate of the guy next to him who was just staring at him like, what? And like, just take my steak. You want my mashed potatoes? Yeah. Next morning, my dad was just staring in the bathroom window and my mom said, what's wrong? And he said, it's terminal. And my mom said, what? He said, my eating. In a culture uh, such as ours, it can feel like our desire to acquire is just infinite and terminal. But all that does is just make us serve many masters. So how do we bust out of that? Always wanting more, always serving multiple masters. How do we break out of that? A couple of things. The first is this, praise and thanksgiving. So here's some homework for you this week. Pray these two prayers. First one, Jesus, what's great about you is... Jesus, what's great about you is that even when I run after all these other things that the world says I got to have, grabbing at all that stuff that just ends up being masters I serve, what's great about you is you keep coming after me. Jesus, what's great about you is you can take the worst stuff thrown at me and use it for good in my life. That's what's great about you. Then the second prayer, Jesus, thank you for, and then just fill in the blank. Maybe, for instance, just go to your closet tomorrow morning and say, Jesus, thank you that I get to choose what I wear today. Jesus, thank you for these pleated pants, even though they're ugly. Thank you, right? Just thank you. Praise and gratitude gets us out of thinking we don't have enough. It reminds us of what we have. Second, let Jesus redirect your desires. And this is where Jesus is different than every other religious figure. All the other religions say, you know what, desire is bad, you've got to get rid of it. Our culture says, fulfill every single desire you have. Neither works. We can't get rid of desire because that's just human. And trying to fulfill every desire just makes us thirstier. We want more, like drinking salt water, and then we end up serving many masters. So Jesus says, redirect your desire. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. In other words, what we invest in is what we love. That's where our heart goes. Anyone who owns stock knows this principle, right? You invest in, hey, that's the stock I kind of pay attention to. So invest in things that last, that matter. See, Jesus doesn't squash desire like every other religion. Jesus elevates it. He says, desire things that last, like connection to God 
and relationships and being part of something bigger than yourself by being part of God's rescue mission to this world. So you have purpose and adventure in life. The problem is not that you desire too much. It's that you don't desire enough. We mess around with the stuff of this world when there's so much more waiting for us. Right before this passage, he tells his disciples that if they fast in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, it is okay to want rewards. But Jesus says there are greater rewards than the stuff our culture offers and that we often end up serving. And the greatest reward is connection with Jesus himself. And I know this. I have experienced this enough to know that when we feel loved by him, when we experience his presence, and as the hymn says, the things of this earth grow strangely dim, we do not end up being divided Christians as much because they don't compare to Jesus. Okay, praise and gratitude, redirect your desire. And then the third way out of serving two masters is to give. Give some of your time. Serve a friend or a coworker. Volunteer for something. Man, we couldn't function in this church without volunteers who help us with everything from those videos you see to the, to the, to the music programs, to our youth and kids choirs. And when you give, it gets you out of yourself. It redirects your desires. You start to see the joy of making a difference in someone's life. You stop living as much for the stuff of this world. Give your time. And also give your money. So much of our lives is this motion, isn't it? Give me this, give me this, I need this, I need this, I need this. Giving reverses that motion. And we begin to give stuff away and let go of the stuff that masters us. That's why in the Bible, God says to give at least 10% of what we earn to the local faith community you're a part of. It's called a tithe. And the Bible is crystal clear. The first 10% goes to your church. And I've put some scriptures in the bulletin that say that. You can take them home and argue with them if you'd like. And I think part of the reason he says give it to the church is because then we really let go, right? Let the elders decide how it gets spent rather than try to hang on to it by controlling where it goes. And when we can really let go of our money, you know what, guys? We can let go of all the other stuff that masters us, all those other masters we serve, we can let go of accolades and success and even trying to get other people to do what we need for us, right? We can start to let go of everything. Now, for a lot of us, myself included, 10% is not enough. That doesn't change our lifestyle, which doesn't help me desire less. So my wife and I give 10% here and over above that to other Christian organizations. And it frees us from serving two masters in two ways. First, it shows us that God is real because we see and provide. I've said this before. The best way to prove that God exists is to tithe. One of our elders said this week that God was more of a concept for him. He didn't really experience a lot of connection with him until he began to tithe. And he had wanted to tithe for a number of years, but he was afraid that his wife wouldn't want to tithe until one day after a tithing sermon, she said to him, you know what? We should tithe. So see, right now, your spouse may secretly be hoping that you're going to lean over and say, hey, honey, let's tithe. You're not buying that. Okay. <laughs> Try it. It'll be romantic. And I got dozens of stories of folks who do that, and God provides, you know, unexpected uh, refunds, raises, just dozens of stories like that. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen that way. Sometimes the way God frees us from serving many masters is we discover we don't need all those things we're grabbing at that just end up mastering us. We, don't, we can be happy on less than the culture says we need. Plus, it's fun. Because when you give to this church, you get to be part of changing lives here. A father, whose permission I have to share this, told me that his elementary-age son is a high-needs kid and can sometimes be disruptive or seem disengaged. And because of that, he's had to be pulled out of a lot of different 
school activities, but he's found a home in one of our children's choirs here. And he said he and his wife can get choked up thinking about it because so often the message their son has received is, you can't be a part of this, you can't be involved. But here the staff gladly makes a place for him and his son feels affirmed and feels at home. You guys make that happen when you give. This week I got an email from a woman expressing her gratitude for this church. She said, I first fell in love with the people of Africa on a mission trip to Zambia from Bell Press. When I started thinking about adopting, I was supported by my Bible study group at Bell Press. My two wonderful Ethiopian daughters have been loved and accepted at Bell Press. As a single mom, my girls have had wonderful adult male role models through the youth programs of Bell Press. I never would have embarked on this exciting adventure without the support of this church family. We see lives change through the organizations we support. We give over 11% of our budget away to help organizations that are helping people in need in all around the world, locally as well, places like Jubilee Reach, Eastside Academy, the alternative school that meets in our building. And by the way, if you want to be inspired by lives changed, man, sign up today to go to the EA auction on Saturday. It's just inspiring. A ton of these kids, that, that they've, they've had difficult backgrounds, abuse, or parents on drugs, or poverty, but their lives get changed. Last spring, you heard from a student who came from a very difficult background, but he found a new way of living at EA. And as you know, we bought six homes a couple of years ago, two of which are used for Eastside Academy students, one for boys, one for girls, with house parents in each. And the student found a family and, and brothers and the other student in the boys' home. And now he's in college and he's living in a Christian fraternity. And if you want a cool PS to this, when we open those homes, uh, we call them the Renew Homes, some of the neighbors, uh, they, they didn't know what to expect, so they had some fears and concerns and there was some opposition. Well, now that they have met these amazing students, things are different. We had a block party this summer and one of the most vocal opponents to the homes was there. And the next day, his son asked if he could go play video games at the Renew Boys Home. This guy said, Sure because he's seen how great these students are, and now there's healing and there's reconciliation. One Sunday, about a year ago, I was talking to an Eastside Academy student after church. This student has since graduated, I think. And he was saying to me after church, he said, you know what, I don't like church. I would never go to church. But if I ever went to a church, I would go to this church. He said, in church. When I hear stories like that, I think, you know, man, what else would I do with my money that would give me a better feeling of knowing I'm a part of that. Plus, by giving, I let go of it, which helps me let go of all those other masters that I serve. But it doesn't have to be money that you give. It can be other things. If, you know what? If the desire for accolades is a master you serve, do something good for someone, but do it in secret. I have a good friend who's a well-known political thinker in Washington. Some of you would know his name. And a lot of accolades come from that. But one of the things he does is he will tutor underprivileged students, but he makes sure to do it outside of D.C. so nobody knows he does it. Now, he gets a lot of rewards for that. He, he gets to see lives change through his, through his service. He gets a sense of closeness to God. He gets a feeling of God saying, well done, and I'm proud of you. But he does not get the earthly reward of impressing his D.C. peers. You know what? If you sometimes use people to get something from them, maybe just do something to bless someone, a, a spouse or a friend or, your, or a, a kid, and just do, bless them, but do it in secret. And since what we invest in is what we love, if we serve others over time, it takes time, but as we serve others and invest in them, we come to love them just for who they are, not for what they can do for us. 
I heard a pastor from the Bay Area recently talk about how his church, like ours, helps out in the local schools. Similar to us, they help teachers set up in the fall. They do power washing, painting. You know, they, one time they renovated a whole campus. But there was this one school that just wouldn't participate. And the pastor couldn't even get a meeting with the principal. And the problem was that was the school that was across the street from his church. Well, finally, a new principal came and he, he got a meeting with her and he listed all the stuff they could do, you know, paint, renovate, power wash. The principal said, well, could you just come to our football games? And he was disappointed because he really likes to power wash, like it makes him feel very manly. Plus, he wanted to do something big that would sort of motivate his congregation and inspire them. But it was a start, so he said, yeah, we, we could come to your games, but why? And she said, because we stink, right? And, 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 and nobody comes to our game. So he got a thousand people from his church to do a tailgate party and then go to the game. And, 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 and those kids felt so loved, so encouraged, so supported. And that opened the door for a lot more ways to serve, which eventually included power washing. So he got to take care of that as well. But he said just seeing the joy of the kids' faces as they cheered for them was just the coolest reward. And he said, it made me closer to Jesus because I could tell Jesus was just guiding the whole process. And it helped him let go of his agenda of trying to get this and trying to get that, you know, trying to give in a way that actually benefited him and his church, right? He was just able to let go, give what was needed, and get out of serving two masters. Just do what Jesus is asking to do and end up being closer to him. So where are you serving two masters? How does your desire to acquire, whatever it is, success, affirmation, comfort, whatever it is, how's that playing out in your faith, in your relationships? This week, engage in some praise and thanksgiving. Give some time, talent, treasure, but above all, connect with Jesus. And this is the most important point of this sermon. Spend time just connecting with Jesus. In worship for the next couple of weeks, don't evaluate. Just focus on him, right? Think about the words to the song, sing them like you mean them. During communion, when we have it, use that time to pray and to connect with Jesus. Jesus, who loves us even when we're unlovable. Jesus, who doesn't want something from us, but something for us. Jesus, who conquered death, which means we have nothing to fear. Our greatest enemy is defeated. Jesus, the one who would rather die than lose us. Jesus, who takes the worst things thrown at us and can turn them around and use them for good and so much more. And when we do that, When we connect with Jesus, focus on him, we begin to want less of the stuff of this world because we discover he is all that we need and we end up being less divided Christians focused only on him because he is the one that satisfies. And in a world that is always saying, give me this and give me that and give me the other, our prayer becomes a lot more simple, a lot more life-giving and leads to a lot more joy. In the morning when I rise or when I am alone or when I am afraid, or all throughout my day, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. It's not worth it. But give me Jesus. So Jesus, what's great about you is, even when we're running away from you, chasing the stuff of the world that just ends up being masters we serve, Lord, you pursue us, and you give us the power to focus only on you. That's what's great about you. So Lord, help us to follow only you. Desire less all the other stuff we chase and know the joy that you and you alone can give. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.